0: Chapters 25 and 26 of the Torrents of Spring by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-five. Almost running, Sanin returned to his hotel room. He felt he knew that only there, only by himself, would it be clear to him at last what was the matter, what was happening to him and so it was directly he had got inside his room directly he had sat down to the writing-table with both elbows on the table and both hands pressed to his face he cried in a sad and choked voice i love her love her madly and he was all aglow within like a fire when a thick layer of dead ash has been suddenly blown off an instant more and he was utterly unable to understand how he could have sat beside her her and talked to her and not have felt that he worshipped the very hem of her garment that he was ready as young people express it to die at her feet the last interview in the garden had decided everything now when he thought of her she did not appear to him with blazing curls in the shining starlight he saw her sitting on the garden seat saw her all at once tossing back her hat and gazing at him so confidingly and the tremor and hunger of love ran through all his veins he remembered the rose which he had been carrying about in his pocket for three days he snatched it out and pressed it with such feverish violence to his lips that he could not help frowning with the pain now he considered nothing reflected on nothing did not deliberate and did not look forward he had done with all his past he leaped forward into the future from the dreary bank of his lonely bachelor life he plunged headlong into that glad seething mighty torrent and little he cared little he wished to know where it would carry him or whether it would dash him against a rock no more the soft-flowing currents of the ulan song which had lulled him not long ago these were mighty irresistible torrents they rush flying onwards and he flies with them he took a sheet of paper and without blotting out a word almost with one sweep of the pen wrote as follows dear gemma you know what advice i undertook to give you what your mother desired and what she asked of me but what you don't know and what i must tell you now is that i love you love you with all the ardour of a heart that loves for the first time this passion has flamed up in me suddenly but with such force that i can find no words for it when your mother came to me and asked me it was still only smouldering in me or else I should certainly, as an honest man, have refused to carry out her request. The confession I make you now is the confession of an honest man. You ought to know whom you have to do with. Between us there should exist no misunderstandings. You see that I cannot give you any advice. I love you, love you, love you, and I have nothing else either in my head or in my heart dm sanin when he had folded and sealed this note sanin was on the point of ringing for the waiter and sending it by him no he thought it would be awkward by emil but to go to the shop and seek him out there among the other employees would be awkward too besides It's dark by now, and he has probably left the shop. Reflecting after this fashion, Sanin put on his hat, however, and went into the street. He turned a corner, another, and to his unspeakable delight saw Emil before him. With a satchel under his arm and a roll of papers in his hand, the young enthusiast was hurrying home. They may well say every lover has a lucky star, thought Sanin, and he called to Emil. The latter turned and at once rushed to him. Sanin cut short his transports, handed him the note and explained to whom and how he was to deliver it. Emil listened attentively. So that no one sees, he inquired, assuming an important and mysterious air, that said, we understand the inner meaning of it all yes my friend said sanin and he was a little disconcerted however he patted emil on the cheek and if there should be an answer you will bring me the answer won't you i will stay at home don't worry yourself about that emil whispered gaily he ran off and as he ran nodded once more to him sanin went back home and without lighting a candle flung himself on the sofa put his hands behind his head and abandoned himself to those sensations of newly conscious love, which it is no good even to describe. One who has felt them knows their languor and sweetness. To one who has felt them not, one could never make them known. The door opened, Emile's head appeared. I have brought it, he said in a whisper. Here it is, the answer. He showed and waved above his head a folded sheet of paper. Sanin leaped up from the sofa and snatched it out of Emile's hand. Passion was working too powerfully within him. He had no thought of reserve now, nor of the observance of a suitable demeanour even before this boy, her brother. He would have been scrupulous, he would have controlled himself, if he could. He went to the window, and by the light of a street-lamp, which stood just opposite the house, he read the following lines. I beg you, I beseech you, don't come to see us, don't show yourself all day tomorrow. It's necessary, absolutely necessary for me, and then everything shall be settled. I know you will not say no, because... Gemma. Sanin read this note twice through oh how touchingly sweet and beautiful her handwriting seemed to him he thought a little and turning to emil who wishing to give him to understand what a discreet young person he was was standing with his face to the wall and scratching on it with his finger-nails he called him aloud by name emil ran at once to sanin what do you want me to do listen my young friend "'Monsieur Dimitri,' Emile interrupted in a plaintive voice, "'why do you address me so formally?' Sanin laughed. "'Oh, very well. Listen, my dearest boy,' Emile gave a little skip of delight. "'Listen, there, you understand, there you will say that everything shall be done exactly as is wished,' Emile compressed his lips and nodded solemnly. "'And as for me, what are you doing tomorrow, my dear boy?' "'I?' What am I doing? What would you like me to do? If you can, come to me early in the morning, and we will walk about the country round Frankfurt till evening. Would you like to? Emil gave another little skip. I say, what in the world could be jollier? Go a walk with you. Why, it's simply glorious. I'll be sure to come. And if they won't let you? They will let me. Listen, don't say there that I asked you to come for the whole day why should i but i'll get away all the same what does it matter emil warmly kissed sanin and ran away sanin walked up and down the room a long while and went late to bed he gave himself up to the same delicate and sweet sensations the same joyous thrill at facing a new life sanin was very glad that the idea had occurred to him to invite emil to spend the next day with him he was like his sister he will recall her was his thought but most of all he marvelled how he could have been yesterday other than he was today it seemed to him that he had loved gemma for all time and that he had loved her just as he loved her today 26 at 8 o'clock next morning emil arrived at sanin's hotel leading tartalia by a string had he sprung of german parentage he could not have shown greater practicality he had told a lie at home he had said he was going for a walk with sanin till lunch time and then going to the shop while sanin was dressing emil began to talk to him rather hesitatingly it is true about gemma about her rupture with her But Sanin preserved an austere silence in reply, and Emil, looking as though he understood why so serious a matter should not be touched on lightly, did not return to the subject, and only assumed from time to time an intense and even severe expression. After drinking coffee the two friends set off together, on foot of course, to Hausen, a little village lying a short distance from Frankfurt and surrounded by woods. The whole chain of the Taunus Mountains could be seen clearly from there. The weather was lovely, the sunshine was bright and warm, but not blazing hot. A fresh wind rustled briskly among the green leaves, the shadows of high round clouds glided swiftly and smoothly in small patches over the earth. The two young people soon got out of the town and stepped out boldly and gaily along the well-kept road, they reached the woods and wandered about there a long time, then they launched very heartily at a country inn, then climbed on to the mountains, admired the views, rolled stones down and clapped their hands, watching the queer droll way in which the stones hopped along like rabbits till a man, passing below unseen by them, began abusing them in a loud ringing voice. Then they lay full length on the short dry moss of yellowish-violet colour, then they drank beer at another inn, ran races, and tried for a wager which could jump farthest. They discovered an echo and began to call to it, sang songs, hallooed, wrestled, broke up dried twigs, decked their hats with fern, and even danced. Tartaglia, as far as he could shared in all these pastimes he did not throw stones it is true but he rolled head over heels after them he howled when they were singing and even drank beer though with evident aversion he had been trained in this art by a student to whom he had once belonged but he was not prompt in obeying emil not as he was with his master pantaleone and when emil ordered him to speak or to sneeze he only wagged his tail and thrust out his tongue like a pipe the young people talked too at the beginning of the walk sanin as the elder and so more reflective turned the conversation on fate and predestination and the nature and meaning of man's destiny but the conversation quickly took a less serious turn emil began to question his friend and patron about russia how duels were fought there and whether the women there were beautiful and whether one could learn russian quickly and what he had felt when the officer took aim at him sanin on his side questioned Emil about his father his mother and in general about their family affairs trying every time not to mention gemma's name and thinking only of her to speak more precisely it was not of her he was thinking but of the morrow the mysterious morrow which was to bring him new unknown happiness it was as though a veil a delicate bright veil hung faintly fluttering before his mental vision and behind this veil he felt felt the presence of a youthful motionless divine image with a tender smile on its lips and eyelids severely with affected severity downcast and this image was not the face of gemma it was the face of happiness itself for behold at last his hour had come the veil had vanished the lips were parting the eyelashes are raised His divinity has looked upon him, and at once light as from the sun, and joy and bliss unending. He dreamed of this morrow, and his soul thrilled with joy again in the melting torture of ever-growing expectation. And this expectation, this torture, hindered nothing. It accompanied every action, and did not prevent anything it did not prevent him from dining capitally at a third inn with emil and only occasionally like a brief flash of lightning the thought shot across him what if any one in the world knew this suspense did not prevent him from playing leapfrog with emil after dinner the game took place on an open green lawn and the confusion the stupefaction of sanin may be imagined At the very moment, when accompanied by a sharp bark from Tartaglia, he was flying like a bird, with his legs outspread over a mill, who was bent double, he suddenly saw on the farthest border of the lawn two officers, in whom he recognized at once his adversary and his second, Herr von Dönhoff and Herr von Richter. Each of them had stuck an eyeglass in his eye, and was staring at him, chuckling sanin got on his feet turned away hurriedly put on the coat he had flung down jerked out a word to emil the latter too put on his jacket and they both immediately made off it was late when they got back to frankfort they'll scold me emil said to sanin as he said goodbye to him well what does it matter i've had such a splendid splendid day When he got home to his hotel, Sanin found a note there from Gemma. She fixed a meeting with him for next day, at seven o'clock in the morning, in one of the public gardens which surround Frankfurt on all sides. How his heart throbbed! How glad he was that he had obeyed her so unconditionally! And, my God, what was promised! What was not promised by that unknown, unique, impossible, and undubitably certain morrow? He feasted his eyes on Gemma's note. The long, elegant tale of the letter G, the first letter of her name, which stood at the bottom of the sheet, reminded him of her lovely fingers, her hand. He thought that he had not once touched that hand with his lips. Italian women! he mused in spite of what's said of them are modest and severe and gemma above all queen goddess pure virginal marble but the time will come and it is not far off there was that night in Frankfurt one happy man he slept but he might have said of himself in the words of the poet i sleep but my watchful heart sleeps not and it fluttered as lightly as a butterfly flutters his wings as he stoops over the flowers in the summer sunshine. End of chapters 25 and 26